What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. The NHL is back. It's right around the corner. We're talking about it right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Greg Wyshynski covers the NHL for ESPN.com, and Greg joins us here on ESPN 1000. Greg, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, a 2014 format, better than 16, better than 20? <laughs> uh, worse than 22, not as bad as 31. Uh, no, I, I think 22 teams would have been the sweet spot. That kind of would take care of all of the playoff teams around the bubble uh, that got their seasons cut short when the NHL paused for the pandemic on March 12th. 24, it ropes in the Blackhawks. We can be happy about that, obviously, mm-hmm. here on this program. Uh, and it ropes in Montreal. Two big markets. And, you know, listen, I, I don't necessarily think both of those teams were, you know, going to be playoff teams. But if you're going to do a big 2014 tournament in the middle of the summer and try to get people to watch hockey i mean invite as many people to the party as you can and honestly with what they were given to work with with what with what was in front of them uh, i think they came up with a pretty good format not only for the return to play in that tournament but also for the draft lottery as well uh how the 2020 nhl playoffs can be the greatest ever you got to check out this column on espn.com greg wrote it and you can read it while we are having our conversation 77 percent of the league is in the postseason isn't that the case already no actually not it's just it's uh <laughs> it, it it's interesting because when i read your column i got really excited again for the nhl starting because there's so many different um ways it, it feels like this could be once it starts, Greg. It feels like the first day of the NCAA tournament because it seems like the unexpected can happen. Oh yeah, and it's going to feel like the first day of March Madness too because the games are going to start at noon. You're going to get hockey all day long. Uh, one of the reasons that the NHL is, is doing this, obviously, is because of the same reason we watch March Madness, which is that they're hoping that the gambling community latches on to these games as, a, as something to to bet on as, as live sports uh, slowly starts to return. Um, so it is going to feel like March Madness. It's going to feel like a day-long event, and I think that's a really cool way to do it. Um, and like you said, the unpredictability of the whole thing is really what makes it such an attractive uh, way to restart the season. Um, you don't know what these teams are going to look like. A lot of the teams that were banged up and injured at the end of, this, of the regular season, they're going to be healthy. Um, there's a lot of unpredictability on top of the fact that structurally with a, a five-game uh, qualification round series situation for the lower eight seeds uh, in each conference, I mean, a five-game series means three good games from a hot goalie, and you might be looking at a slew of upsets in that round. Greg, uh, when we take a look at the NHL uh, before the pandemic and how's, as we take a look at this f- format that's been laid out, don't you think that Gary Bettman and the NHL overall really needed a win, kind of a shot in the arm, because out of everything that we see across the sports landscape, the NHL seems to be pretty direct and pretty uh, locked in on what they want to do, while others are still trying to figure things out. Yeah, and uh, it's funny. I've been, I've been doing a lot of interviews with different people in the last few days 
a lot of folks that don't necessarily follow the NHL on a, a day-by-day basis. And the overriding uh, feeling I've been getting from people is shock that Gary Bettman pulled this off. I mean, he, he's the guy that typically cancels the season, right? Doesn't bring yeah. the season back. So I think there was a surprise that the NHL had their act together the way it did. But, you know, in someone who's been following this process for ESPN.com for the last few months, uh, I could tell you that it's been a lot of back and forth between the owners and the players, a lot of different formats, trying to put everything on the table, trying to think outside the box as much as they can. And I'll give the NHL credit for this. They were flexible. You know, there was one point when they really wanted to do the draft before the season restarted. Their general managers weren't down with it, so the NHL relented, even though they were very much prepared to try to force that thing through. And in the case of of the players, you know, a lot of the players were like, look, you know, you have to come up with a format that's going to rope in all of the teams that were in the playoff race and give the teams at the top of the conferences competitive games to get them ready for the next round. And I think the NHL worked hard to hammer out a format that works. So, yeah, being first to market was huge for them. They owned the week. The NHL never owns the week. Last time the NHL probably got this much attention is when they put a team in Vegas. And, and that's, you know, the level of interest that we've had in hockey this week. That's really the case. You're right, Greg. As we talked to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com on the NHL, it's going to be returning soon. We're talking about it right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I, um, you know, with the Winter Classic, with those those stadium series and the playoffs and opening night, you need to have something. I think that those are wins for the NHL. But this is this is something positive because Gary comes across as the baby face saying, "Here is the here's the layout. Here's where where we're going." Uh, so again, that that's good. Now c- compare the NHL to say the other commissioners. The NBA are, are on the precipice of trying to figure things out, getting closer. Major League Baseball, it's like it's so far away. The owners and players. So I, I guess Bettman would be right there at the top, along with Goodell, right? Yeah, as far as getting their act in order, for sure. sure. Um, but yeah, but the other thing about this too, and we got it. We got to at least give some 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 time on this aspect of it is they came back because they had a format for the season, right? They didn't come back to say there was going to be a season. And, you know, the, the, the comparison I've been drawing is like when you're, when you're looking at the, the, uh, you know, the, your kid's room after they cleaned it, right? And, and the floor is beautiful and all the toys are put away. And then over in the corner is that pile of dirty laundry, you know, that they haven't really done anything with. Sure. The pile of dirty laundry here is the testing it's where we're playing games. It's the protocols the players need. It's figuring out if they're going to see their families for two and a half months. I give the NHL credit. They got the message out. Uh, they, they put the format out. They got people really excited about hockey coming back this summer potentially. But there's so much work left to be done. And the message from the players this week has been, look, we're excited too. We want to come back and finish the season. But we didn't vote on whether or not to come back and play this summer. We voted on what it will look like if we do. Uh, what is the the latest on the financial ramifications for the players? You know that's a bone of contention with the players in the uh, in Major League Baseball. A- any issues financially? Well, we should say first the players have received all of their paychecks for the season. Um, they get paid uh, through the end of the regular season. They don't get a paycheck during the playoffs. What they've been trying to figure out is what to do with that last paycheck. Now, the way the NHL works is there's a fifty fifty revenue split between the players and the owners. If the owners don't make the money that they project to make and it's an even split, the, payer, the players actually give back money to the owners to make it 50-50. Obviously, the owners are taking a massive revenue hit this season. The players know they're going to have to kick back money. So they've been trying to figure out if they're going to put 
that last paycheck into escrow and give it to the owners to help pay off that debt a little bit, or, or whether they're going to keep it and figure it out when revenues start coming in next season. Now, the bigger picture here is that we're a couple of years away from a new collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners that needs to be ratified. And one of the underlying topics of the next few weeks is going to be the players and the owners talking a little bit about the CBA and trying to maybe come up with a way where the players will extend the CBA, which the owners are pretty happy about the current system, extend the CBA in exchange for paying off the giant revenue shortfall they're going to have this season and probably next season over the course of several years rather than taking a massive hit over the course of maybe one or two seasons. So the the financial picture is definitely part of the overall equation. It's something we're going to hear a lot more about, I think, as we get closer to the restart of the season. So do you want to go halves on uh, Ed Belfour's 1971 Plymouth uh, Barracuda? <laughs> That he's selling for one point two million. Let's do it, you and I. Let's do it. Come on, Greg. I just, I just, I just, I just would love to be Ed Belfort's accountant. I mean, like he offered the cops that one time a billion dollars. He's selling his car for like one point two million. The, the the valuation of things in Ed Belfort's life has been fascinating for me over the last like twenty years. <laughs> There's no listen. I love muscle cars, just like the next dummy, right? I love muscle cars. I I enjoy it. But, man, that's a 71 Plymouth Cuda. That's a 440. I'm looking at the picture right now. It's a link in your, uh, in your column. Uh, it looks great. It's, it's blue. It's light blue in color. It's got um, a leather interior. There's no way that thing's worth 1.2. I watch the auction shows. I, mean, I don't think that's <laughs> worth 1.2. But maybe in Ed Belfour's home, maybe it is. Well, there was, there was an episode of Seinfeld once where I think Kramer bought a car that used to be owned by John Voight. And that helps, like, increase the value of the car. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's like, you know, you, you add on a, a mill if it's, like, Ed Belfort's car or something. Uh, you know, trying to rope in a, a Dallas Stars or a Blackhawks fan to spend that extra cheese to get the car. Dude, don't don't put it past a Hawks fan, for real. I mean, that, like, like getting the Eagles Cuda, are you kidding me? Like, that, I mean, before the championship era, like, that guy walked on water. Like, that, people loved Ed Belfort. So that's 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 amazing. Um, uh, by the way, I would agree with you, and I think that this should be part of the negotiations in the NHL. Uh, if all elite wrestling can get their wrestlers to be at uh, ringside, <laughs> you know, for for their events to try to have some kind of noise, it should be an edict in the in the conversation that the hockey players should stay. They should be in the stands for wherever they're going to play. They should be there to make some noise for their you know for their comrades that are playing. It would be incredible. AEW has really cracked the code on that sort of empty arena thing in a way that I think that their competitors haven't. And just having, you know, the, the faces cheer the heroes and the heels boo them and, and, and vice versa. And, yeah, the idea of, of, you know, there being somebody in the stands making noise during these games, I think, is something the NHL is certainly exploring. It could be staff members and, and players that are reserved for the teams that are playing. But, yeah, in a perfect world, man. How cool would it be to have the Philadelphia Flyers sitting in the stands watching the Penguins play, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, taking, you know, trolling Sidney Crosby when he has the puck. I mean, there, there's a billion ways that you could keep this thing a lot more interesting than just playing in front of empty seats. But I'll say this. There's a guy named Steve Mayer for the NHL. He's the uh, chief content creator for them. He's the guy who does all of the aesthetics for the outdoor games and, and themes them, you know, like when you go to the, the winter classic in Dallas and there's a big cowboy boot and stuff like that. So he's going to be the guy in charge of creating the atmosphere for these games. And I have a feeling that there's going to be some, 
some stuff we've never seen for the NHL on television in the way that these games are shot and the way they're presented and in the way these arenas are going to end up looking and sounding to kind of distract us from the fact that there's no fans in the building. Oh, great. So we're going to get the red streak on the puck again like Fox. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, at the very least, maybe they can put them CGI robots in the stands so we have some, <laughs> uh, some, some, some folks that are in the stands, at least. I would like that. I would like, to, I would like for the NHL just to be just like all elite wrestling, just get all the fans, get all the players. Even They're not playing. That's fine. But I want them there to be able to make a lot of noise hitting the glass. I think it'd be great. So, you, it'd be awesome. You, so, Greg, you know what's happening with this Hawks team. This is a, a team in transition here under Colleton. Colleton has been very unpopular here because it's it's what you know, right? It's when Quinville is let go, and I thought it was premature, but there was a disconnect clearly between the front office and Quinville, and that's why McHugh's not here anymore. Um, it's the winningest team in Chicago in quite some time when you have three Stanley Cups in that run, in that uh, the run the Blackhawks had. So Colleton's in here is kind of this kind of, I think transitional coach, but yet you still have veterans. So I'm looking at the potential matchup against the Oilers. I don't expect a lot for the Hawks, but you see you see what's going on with this Hawks team. Do you keep the core of Crawford and Taves and Kane and Duncan Keith, or do you start over? Well, I mean, logic would dictate you start over. Um, I think part of the difficulty in that, obviously, is the trade protection some of these guys have. We've seen that with Seabrook. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the fact that you are dealing with a, a major business decision in the sense that it has been this group that's enchanted so many fans in Chicago. It has been this group that bought so many people back to the organization after, you know, basically kind of walking away from it for decades. And it's really hard to conceive a, a Blackhawks team that doesn't have Keith and Taves and Kane at its core. Um, you know, there is a path back, and that is, you know, as, as you develop more young players, and the Blackhawks certainly have a, a good number of them right now, you hope that maybe things coalesce and you could make a run. Heck, it could even be in the unpredictable summer we're about to have mm-hmm. uh, where they'll be playing an Oilers team that isn't necessarily a juggernaut, um, even though they were fifth in the conference. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, logically you'd want to start a rebuild, but, I mean, practically – it's hard to imagine that this core isn't going to still be here for the next few years or until they decide it's not time to be there anymore. And then you just try to fill in around them, uh, which has been the challenge, obviously, for Stan Bowman through the years. There was a time when the supporting cast could change over and they could win a cup. Uh, and then there are times when the supporting cast simply uh, just hasn't been able to coalesce around the core. Well, I, I just uh, I'm hoping that the Hawks come up with something because I can't go back to four thousand people at the United Center and trying to get English <laughs> words out of John Eves Larue. I, I can't go back to those days of, you know, the the lean days of Mike Smith and you know, I just I, I can't we can't do the old Alpo Suhonen thing again. It, it was it was really dark days, you know. All the pomp and circumstances around the United Center sold out now, but boy, back then, Greg. It was, it was oh, yeah. pretty. It was bleak. Yeah, I didn't. The the HL team, the the Wolves, were a much hotter product than the Hawks during that time, and so I I can't see the Hawks going backwards. Hopefully, they can find some kind of middle way that they can stay relevant in in the city. Yeah, and obviously, you know, part of the trick with the Hawks now this season is the fact that you know they were last place in their division. They're kind of looking towards the draft, the whole thing, and. Then all of a sudden, now they're a playoff team, basically being in the qualification round. And for those who don't know, the NHL has kind of reconfigured its draft lottery where they're going to do one of them, right? And then they're going to pick the top three picks. But part of that lottery, 
which will be held before the playoffs, is going to have a bunch of placeholder teams, right? So uh, it could be a situation where a team that is still active and playing then has a chance to get one of the top three picks when they do a second lottery uh, after the qualification round. So in theory, the Blackhawks are looking towards the draft, right? I mean, they're in the playoffs kind of thing, but they're also looking towards the draft. So just because they're in that field of 24 doesn't necessarily mean they can't still uh, pull a, a, good, a top player out of those top three picks if they end up uh, uh, having the lottery balls bounce the right way. Because they do obviously need some good, young, cheap, awesome labor uh, to, uh, to help fill out that team that certainly has uh, a number of veteran players uh, chewing up cap space. All right, Greg, are we looking for that check for the uh, other half of that CUDA? And we could, uh, we could just, I, I could have it a couple of weekends. You could have it a couple of weekends. And I think we'll be the cooler for it. I think it'll be great. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, every other weekend kind of situation. And then, you know, both, both of us could be kings of Chicago because we have Eddie the Eagles car. That's right. Exactly right. Greg, I'm glad you spent some time, man, in Chicago. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Anytime. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.